Um, the reading this morning is from Acts 8, um, starting verse 9. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you that we can be here with you this morning. Lord, would you just like center our hearts? Just help us to be present, just present in this moment with you, uh, receiving this word. God, would you create a response in our spirit, just like even if it's a physical or spiritual response to the Word of God, uh, that we would just leave this place never the same. Uh, God, we ask you to bless the teaching, uh, bring peace uh, and truth through Liz. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Jake and Brooke. Good morning, friends, family. Good morning. Happy Sunday. I'm Liz, and... Um, it is my privilege to get to just share with you a little bit this morning and to dive into scripture with you. Um, so, um, yeah. For, now, for those of you who may not have been with us these summer months, um, we call this time in the church calendar ordinary time. Um, it's the time between um, the movement of Pentecost and then the time of um, Advent near the church in the church calendar. And we have been studying the book of Acts. Um, and looking at some of the significant moments of the early church. Um, Acts is a book that recounts some of the really high highs and some of the very low lows of the early church's infancy. On one hand, they see their numbers growing dramatically as people are being transformed and making decisions to follow the way of Jesus. And yet, on the other hand, because of this, they're also experiencing significant and oftentimes even fatal persecution. It's a book that um, I really do believe has a lot to say to us even as the church today. Um, 
just so you know, like this is the first time I've ever used one of these like microphone thingies. I usually have them like this, and this is where normally all my nervous energy goes. So if my hands start going rogue, just bear with me, because it might happen today. Um, I am also a sixth grade teacher, and um, I heard a woo. Was there a woo? There was a woo in this building. Woo, woo, thank you. Um, so my audience is usually slightly smaller and more entertained by me and all of my moving hands. Um, but one of the things I love to teach my sixth graders, not only to like elevate their writing and um, develop their understanding of literature, but also because I think it's fun, um, is figurative language. And there is one figure of speech, some of you have probably heard it before, it's called an oxymoron. And it's used to describe two terms that seem um, contradictory to each other, but when you place them next to each other, they create meaning. Um, some examples would be like burning cold, or deafening silence, or jumbo shrimp. Um, it's always fun to kind of brainstorm with my students oxymorons because at this age, they're actually very observant. For those of you who have older elementary kids, you, you know this is one of the hard days night. It's kind of fun and humorous. We can giggle about those kind of things. But when we think about them in a larger cultural context, the observations they pose um, can really poke at the way we view the world. Like when we use, use the oxymorons of an unbiased opinion, friendly fire, or only choice in any of the cultural context and pressing topics of our day. And though I'm not entirely sure that this exact term oxymoron existed in ancient times, like the exact wording, it would appear as though the um, early followers of Jesus experientially understood what this term meant. Like being surrounded by people all day long and yet feeling deeply alone. As they preached the messianic message of Jesus, their experiential oxymoron often looked like victory and loss hand in hand. Paul writes in Philippians 3, I think I have some of these verses up on the screen, um, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ. And it's why James, he wrote to encourage the scattered followers, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I don't know about you, but that sounds like an oxymoron to me because you know that it is the testing of your faith that produces perseverance. Let for perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Gain and loss, joy and trials. This is the tension for the early church that we are reading about right now. And for us as followers of Jesus, this is often our tension. This moment in history, with all of its churning and uncertainty, is not far off from what the early followers of Jesus were experiencing as an opportunity to be made mature and to be made more kingdom-minded. 
Like the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 remind us, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say falsely all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in the kingdom of heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Before we dive into today's passage, uh, I want to provide a little bit of context. Two weeks ago, Brandon introduced us to two gentlemen, Stephen and Philip. They were chosen to help mediate a conflict between the Hebraic and Hellenistic Jews back in Acts 6. And following that moment, um, they, Philip and, and Stephen, along with five others, were chosen and commissioned to go now and preach the good news of Jesus. In Acts 6, 7, we begin by hearing a little bit of Stephen's ministry. It says, so the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. A large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Even priests. Those were the ones who oftentimes opposed the ministry of the disciples. And in the following verses, we see that it doesn't take long for Stephen's ministry to take off in Jerusalem. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. A victory, right? And so it doesn't take long for Stephen to meet opposition from the synagogue leaders. He is eventually brought before the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, and charges are brought against him And most of Acts 7, if you ever have time um, spare, like I really recommend you read Acts 7. It is essentially Stephen's response to these leaders. I think it's even titled Stephen's Speech. Um, It's a fascinating chapter to read because, like, wow, he calls them out. He, He reads their mail. He rebukes them for their lack of understanding of scriptures. And mind you, these are the people who are supposed to be the experts. And consequently, their incorrect response to the person of Jesus. Stephen's speech obviously infuriates these religious leaders. They drag him out into the city and they stone him to death, making him the first Christian martyr. Victory and loss, hand in hand. Chapter 8 begins, verse 1, and Saul approved of their killing him. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both still under the fate of meeting like Stephen's same fate. Philip, he ends up going down to Samaria, and he is preaching the good news of Jesus there. Um, For those of you who have been around Bible stories for a long time, Samaria should ring a bell for us. Um, It's a place that most Jews typically despised. The Samaritans were people who had been in the land when the the Israelites had been exiled to Babylon. And when they had returned to the land, they found themselves along the same side, um, alongside the Samaritans. 
Um, for my Harry Potter fans in here, I'm like a low shelf Harry Potter fan. I'm not like very knowledgeable. But for my Harry Potter fans, um, you know that it, like how it was looked down um, in the wizarding world when you were not of pure magic blood. Like maybe you had a human parent and a, like a wizard parent and they kind of had a derogatory term for that kind of half-breed. They called it a muggle. Um, uh, the Samaritans, they were viewed similarly as half-bloods because they had kept to some forms of Judaism, but they had also um, changed like some significant elements of it. And so because of that, there was no love lost between the Samaritans and the Jews. And there was also like several accounts of mutual violence between these two groups. And so Jesus, when he comes on the scene and he uses the Samaritan as an example of selfless compassion and mercy in one of his parables in Luke 10, it was like an oxymoron to the Jews because in their mind, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. Um, Jesus, he heals 10 lepers, and it is only the Samaritan who ret returns to thank him in Luke 17. And again, before Jesus ascends into heaven, he commissions his disciples to go and spread the story of his mess messianic reign. Um, he commands them to go to Jerusalem. No duh. Judea, makes sense. And even Samaria. Jesus is ruling, so there was great joy in the city. And then in verse 9, if you don't have your scriptures open or if you have it available, you can now turn. We are finally to verse 9. Um, verse 9 in, in Acts 8. It's like Luke, um, who is the writer of, of Acts, it's like he zooms in on some particular um, events and moments that he wants to highlight from Philip's time in Samaria. One story is about Simon the magician, and the other is about an Ethiopian eunuch. And today we are going to look at Simon the Magician. Um, let's first look at verses 9 through 12. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magi magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Oh, I should probably read this version. That's okay. We'll keep going with it. They had all paid attention to them, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God and is called great. And they paid attention to him for a long time because he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God, um, Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Um, Simon, he's an interesting character. We don't get a lot of information about um, this guy, any like, background information about him from Luke's account. Other second and third century historians write about a man named Simon, and he was regarded the supreme god, a, kind of a similar title to what we see here used in Luke's account. And he was even the founder of a group called the Simonian Gnostics. We're not entirely sure if this is the same Simon, but it is possible considering the time frame and region that both of these Simons were located. So assuming that we are reading about the same man, we can kind of deduct that he's a highly revered person in this region and he has a sizable group of followers himself. Now this term magician, 
Um, this is actually the first of several encounters that we're going to have with magic in the book of Acts. And there were two ways that magic was typically viewed in the ancient times. Um, we read every year in our Christmas story that there were three wise men or three magi that brought baby, or gifts to baby Jesus in adoration and reference. That's where we get that term magician. These men were likely astrologers. Um, but that form of magic was not necessarily viewed as bad in the ancient world. However, with Simon, the term that's used for him, the implication of it is that he used magic to ma manipulate the divine by the use of specific formulas or techniques that could be written down in a, in a book that then could be followed and studied by future practitioners. He would essentially tell his followers that if you did this or said that, you could make God do what you want. And his followers called him the great power of God for it. And we read that, this story about Simon, and it's, it's tempting to shake our heads at the absurdity of it all. Um, it sounds like foolishness to think that we could manipulate God. And yet, in studying this passage, and thinking about some of the things that I've been unpacking in my own life, I can see how I sometimes behave like Simon. Sure, it's, it's not chance and spell books. But I can sometimes treat God like a divine vending machine. If I insert my spiritual discipline of reading my Bible, then God will reward me with some kind of profound insight into Scripture. If I insert my spiritual discipline of prayer, then God will answer my prayers the way I want him to. If I do whatever it is, to be a good follower of Jesus, then God is obligated to respond to me. And yet, I can be left disillusioned and disappointed when God doesn't respond the way I think he should or hoped he would. It's an easy trap to fall into, and it will leave us in the same place we see it leave Simon. So let's continue on. Um, Simon is enjoying his following, and then Philip shows up in Samaria. Let's go back to verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great sign. Unfortunately, the period doesn't really end there. The story doesn't end the way, there as well. So verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord, Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. It's possible that Peter and John were sent to Samaria 
to support and empower those who truly wanted to follow the way of Jesus. Sending Peter and John was a sign of welcoming these new believers and essentially cultural outsiders into the central life of the church and trying to bring unity amongst the followers of Jesus. Um, It kind of be helpful to see this almost like an expanding ring of concentric circles. The movement of the Holy Spirit started in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, and now it is moving to the outside world. This is what Jesus was referring to back in Acts 1, um, verse 8, when he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria. And he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Simon's reaction to seeing what's happening around him with, um, with Peter and John and, and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, it kind of reveals the reality of his own heart. Whether or not Simon's conversion was genuine or not, um, we don't really know. And I think we have to approach this like we would do with any person. We trust that to the Lord and allow the fruit to be the testament of transformation. Because here we see there's trouble with Simon's fruit. Up until this recent time, Simon's identity and sense of worth was probably based on his ability to influence and manipulate others. Maybe he saw what was happening there Um, with this manifestation of the Spirit still through the lens of a magician. He knows how to recognize divine power, and now he sees something greater than he could ever be. And instead of submitting to it and allowing it to give him new life, he tries to control it so that he can resurrect his old life. And in doing so, he misses out on a new identity and a new sense of purpose that Jesus had to offer him. And there's something very subtle, but I think very important with Simon's ask. He doesn't ask for the Holy Spirit to come upon himself. He asks for the ability to give it to others. His desire was for that power so that he could transform individuals by laying hands on them. Probably similarly to what he did back when he was the great power of God. And he wanted to buy this technique so that he could add it to his stock of spells and incantations. And reading this passage over and over and over again, I kept asking the Spirit to show me, like, how am I like Simon? And in in his goodness, he did. Simon was more concerned about being the agent of transformation than he was about being transformed himself. And when circumstances in my own life feel like they're in turmoil or they're unsettled, I often respond like Simon. I try to assert myself back into a position of control. 
I often try times try to like change the circumstance instead of changing my heart. Instead of asking God to sit with me in whatever circumstance I'm in and to transform my heart to be more like Jesus. I oftentimes try to take the power back into my own hands. And maybe, I, maybe I'm the only person in the room that does this. But if you find yourself there sometimes, I think the invitation from the Spirit is to release and to trust again. Um, have any of you ever had like what I would call a billboard moment? Like you, you're maybe driving along like the freeway, the 99, the five or whatever, and like some billboard catches your eye and it like, I don't know, maybe it's a slogan or something. Just kind of like catches, like rocks your world for, okay, for instance, um, I, I'm not typically normally one of those people, but I was when I was pregnant. I, for the life of me, could never decide what I wanted to eat. Like I could look at an entire like, fridge stocked and be like, mm, I, don't, I don't know. It would frustrate Brandon to no end because he had it like all started. Like, what do you want to eat? Because like, he was really trying to help me and cater to me. I was like, I don't know. But we would be driving down a road and I'd be like, Brandon, that! Whatever was on the billboard, a slushie, a french fry, that all of a sudden like spoke to the inner workings of my being. And I needed that. And I, to be honest, that's like the only like comical kind of billboard moment I've ever had. Um, until recently, when um, Brandon and I were on a trip together, we were driving and, and it was actually like, like something, like the spirit was doing something in our car. I was unpacking some deep like hurt and wounds that I had I've been carrying for a really long time. And the frustrating part for me was that I, I, I I couldn't name anything. Like I, I was a ball of emotions, but I couldn't like specifically like name, I don't know what the hurt was, deep in my root. And all of a sudden, as I'm just like, like word vomiting to my husband, um, the words came out of my mouth, it was time for me to trust and release again. And we're like somewhere like in the fields, between, like, com probably coming into Fresno, and, but we're not, like, on the free, we're on some side road, and I'm processing, I'm like, a, I'm a hot mess, there's tears everywhere, and I just happen to catch out of the corner of my left eye on, on the other side of the street, and we're going past it, but it catches me on the, on the f side of this fruit stand in bright, bold, red paint, trust Jesus. And I was like, whoa, it's way better than french fries. Um, and to be honest, like we took that same rope back when we traveled and I couldn't find the sign. Big red sign, couldn't find it. Um, and so that was a few weeks ago, reading this passage again, like I, I maybe the invitation is just for me, maybe it's for somebody else in here the continual invitation to release and trust. Trust Jesus again. To ask God to sit with you in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. Because there is a beautiful freedom 
found in the submission to King Jesus. Sounds like another oxymoron, right? Peter's stern response to Simon reveals even more about the, what power and control does to a person's heart. So back to verse 20. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Bitterness and captive to sin. With the discernment of the Spirit, Peter could see what the deep roots of power and control, what that had done to Simon's heart. When we fight for power and control in our lives, it often leaves us bitter and discouraged. And especially, at least for me, like my thought life becomes very susceptible to sin. It's where the lies of Satan, they really start to take root. And consequently, it prevents us from being able to fully participate in what God's doing among his people. Just like it ended up doing for Simon. Peter's warning to Simon reminds us of the, report, of the importance of ripping out those roots in our own hearts. So what does Simon do with this warning? Verse 24. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you've said hap- may happen to me. Peter, he quickly rebukes Simon's belief that money can manipulate God because this belief will only bring about destruction. And Peter warns Simon to repent and turn from it immediately. And once again, Simon's response is purely transactional, like a vending machine. He asks Peter to pray for him. Like a a divine vending machine, anyone can pop in the coin of repentance and and forgiveness will pop out. There appears to be no relationship between Simon and this God that he claims to follow. And that's it. That's the end of the story. Verse 25 says, after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. That's it. Like the story of Jonah, we find Simon's story left open-ended. Peter, Philip, and John continue on in their ministry preaching the gospel. And what happens to Simon, we don't really know. There's a mystery to it. And mystery can be okay. Maybe Luke isn't as concerned about the fate of Simon as he is more about driving home the main points from this particular moment in his life. This 
story reminds us that choosing to follow Jesus may look like an oxymoron to the outside world. It will often be in opposition to what the world says is important in order to show us what has eternal value. Because it's not about bringing about the kingdom of ourselves by amassing power or influence or control. It's about bringing about the kingdom of God and submitting to the work of the Spirit here on earth as it is in heaven. It's not about elevating one's own name. It's about bringing glory and honor to the name that's above every other name. (laughs) And it definitely won't operate like a spiritual vending machine. It will often look like dying and losing so that we can gain and live for what moths and vermin cannot destroy. To those Simons in the room, to those who feel caught between who they were and who they want to be, to those who are struggling with control of some or any aspect of their lives, to those who realize they've been looking in the wrong place for their sense of worth and identity. God sees you. You are beloved of him, not because of anything that you can do, but simply because you're his. He wants to be with you in whatever circumstance he find, you find yourself in. And he wants to transform your heart. I'm going to pray and um, I'm going to have Brandon come back up um, and give us some response time. Again, with the, the story of Simon, there's a, there's a mystery to it because it's not wrapped up like a beautiful bow. And sure, it's, it can be one of those stories that we can read and we're like, yes, it's not like spell books and chants for me. But there's a beautiful, I think, invitation with the story of Simon. To, to, for those of us that need, need help trusting again and releasing, again, believing that, that, that Jesus' way is better. Um, and if, maybe you're one of those people, like we'll have a few people in the back. Um, Brand's gonna play, he'll, he'll lead a song, but if you would love somebody to pray with, like we'll have a few people in the back, please fill that invitation to do so, or if you just need to sit for a little bit, you're welcome to do that as well. Um, feel free just to take some time and sit. Like I had to sit with this passage for um, a long time. Um, I think Nick will probably come up in a few minutes and he'll lead us through a time of communion and more response. Um, And we'll go from there. Let me pray. whether it's 
giant red billboards on fruit stands or the gentle whisper and a shallow breath. You want to be with us. You want to transform our hearts. You want us to release the things that we hold so tightly. Maybe because of fear, maybe because of misplaced identity or mistrust or or wounds, but for those of us that maybe have been white knuckled for way too long, may we feel you gently open up our hands again to trust, to continue on this beautiful journey with you. May we see Simon's life like the warning of a, of a caring father it says that my way is better. Come with me. We love you.